Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Improving Lightning Point of Sale, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 278. During my trip to El Salvador, I was shopping for gifts for my family on the way back. I had expected to find some things to buy in El Zante, but they were mostly just food. Uh, they mostly just had food and beach gear. As locals told me, the town has always been a surfing mecca. So the goods sold there are attuned to that crowd, even if everything can now be bought in Bitcoin. I had better luck at finding gifts at the airport, as is typical. The interesting thing about any airport is that in any country, the highest of technologies are deployed there, but it also tends to be mixed with the culture of the particular place. El Salvador was no exception. As you might expect, there were many stores which operated as a store in the U.S., uh, for example, the high-end duty-free shops accepted cash, credit cards, and because the airport is in San Salvador, also Bitcoin. More interesting to me were the smaller shops with the local merchandise. There, these were stores selling local apparel, trinkets, bracelets, and local crafts. I wanted to buy some and found out that they don't take credit card. In fact, they only take two types of payments, cash and Bitcoin. What was more shocking was how they processed cash. They didn't have any sort of sophisticated point of sale system. They took your cash or Bitcoin, wrote down what you bought on a normal notepad. This struck me as pretty crazy. I'm used to shops back home where nearly everything is automated. The point of sale systems tend to have buttons for each item or barcode scanners to automatically determine the cost of a certain item. Instead, we had a shop that was manually writing down everything that was being sold and their costs so they could reconcile the sales and cash against the inventory, whose count, I imagine, is also manual. It's not long ago that every shop in the world ran on systems like this, but the lack of progress at the Salvadoran shop was a bit of a shock. That led me to think about just how much is involved in the point-of-sale software and how much is automated even in something as service-heavy as retail. Besides sophisticated point-of-sale systems, many stores use RFID tags to automate inventory tracking, surveillance cameras to catch shoplifters, and time safe to handle, handle theft. Stores today have a lot of technology that just isn't available to a lot of people in the third world. In that sense, Lightning is a quantum leap. For many of these businesses in El Salvador, Lightning is introducing digital counting instead of, uh, instead of manual counting with cash. It's convenient, but Lightning isn't where it needs to be to truly catch them up to what's available to the first world. That said, there are downsides to modern point-of-sale systems. There's definitely more surveillance and a lack of privacy. Costco knows exactly what you buy, for example. Still, there are good reasons to want some of these benefits for businesses that use Bitcoin as the main point-of-sale system. Lightning, in other words, needs to grow up and add more features. This isn't at the protocol level, though I'm sure there are improvements there as well, but services that complement Lightning, like, say, the ability to inventory things quickly. Maybe it's barcodes, maybe it's QR codes, maybe it's using a camera on your smartphone and using AI to get the count of how many units there are. The fact is that it's difficult to run a business without such things. Payments might be much easier. But there are additional technologies that are needed on top to make running such a business easier and more profitable. What's exciting is that there's potential to do things in a way that empowers consumers rather than exploits them through privacy invasion. Lightning naturally means there's no central party that gets to know what you bought at the store, for example, so that can be an advantage. 
I would personally love the ability to get some structured digital list of things that I bought so that can be fed to apps that I own, for example. Whenever I pay for something in Lightning, I would like metadata back so I can inventory as quickly as a store would. Imagine if I could look up what I bought when I last bought butter so I can restock at the store instead of having to check at home. Lightning has this incredibly rich ability to communicate peer-to-peer, and that means that not just payment data can be exchanged. Both sides can grab the data about what's being bought and sold to use for their own purposes. This is something that the current system of centralized payment processors doesn't supply because there's someone in the middle preventing this useful data exchange. In other words, Lightning gives us the opportunity to fundamentally change the buying experience so we have a much better idea of our own habits. So I wrote this article thinking about sort of like upgrades to the point of sale systems in El Salvador, because even if they're using Lightning, a lot of the stuff that's around it is still very manual. Um, And bringing them up to sort of like 21st century levels um, requires some upgrades. And the thing is, we we get a chance to sort of completely rethink what point of sale system should be. Um, You know, a lot of it is linked back to inventory and just keeping account of all the stuff that's going on. And obviously doing it manually is very um, difficult and uh, labor intensive and so on. Um, But if you can do certain things to make that a lot easier using Lightning, yeah, there there needs to be additional services on top. So if, if you can just keep track, for example, of uh, what you've sold through Lightning um, as a merchant, that would be a wonderful thing. Like in, in, uh, on your phone, um, having a Lightning POS app that you know that you can program and say, okay, well, here's what these things cost, and you know you can put a feel for a coupon or something like that. Yeah, those are useful metrics, uh, useful things. Um, And any web store already knows how to do all of that. Uh, But, you know, the physical store experience needs to catch up uh, and have that inventory management and accounting and all that, all those things that any retail business needs to do. Um, But in addition, you, you know, lightning is a two way street. So you, you have the ability to get data straight from the person that's selling it to you. Now, we we get this in the form of receipts or something like that, but that's not good structured data, right? It's uh, you're like, I don't know how many people input what they get or whatever, uh, whatever they bought into their computer or whatever. But if that could be done sort of in an automated way, that would be amazing. If it was structured data that came back, then now now you can have like an inventory of what you bought. Um, and reconcile it against the stuff in your house, something like that. That that would be amazing. Um, but we don't, you know, we don't have those systems because there there hasn't really been a way to grab that data. The best, I think, uh, you know, the best that people have done is maybe you know download. You know, Mint has like stuff where it'll suck data from your credit cards or whatever, and it's only because these. Uh, third-party services have access to all of the buying stuff, but that that's a little creepy. I, I would rather do it myself, right? Like ha- have that data myself and Lightning allows for that and, uh, you know, allows me to, you know, have a better idea of what I already own. Have I, did, I, did I buy this book last time I was in, uh, you know, like did I buy it online maybe many years ago? Like people rebuy stuff or whatever or um, and, you know, like this would be also very useful for warranties and stuff like that. If you know, uh, if all of that data is sort of structured and in there, then, well, you know, instead of companies taking advantage of the fact that people don't remember that they have a warranty, you you would have this uh, 
data sort of in a structured way and you know something breaks now you can like quickly look up oh okay like i bought it four months ago and you know this has a six month warranty i can go exchange it like the, these are just practical consumer things that would be very useful um that you know something like lightning lets you do because you have that rich um interchange of data anyway that that was my thought in this uh little uh yeah article that i wrote and hopefully it's uh useful to somebody and you know maybe maybe you can be the one to program something like that all right let's talk about bitcoin ben carmen has a new blog where he talks about frost among other things frost itself is a cool concept where you can aggregate signatures from k event participants instead of musigs and of n requirement the interesting thing about this protocol is that it's round optimized that is the protocol tries to minimize the number of interactions between the participants, and according to the paper, there are two rounds needed, though the first round can be done as an initial setup. The rest of Ben's blog is well worth reading as he goes through music, taproot, and core. So um, I, lo uh, I love that he started this newsletter, and I'll definitely be reading it. Um, but yeah, he, he has, uh, you know, he talks about Frost, uh, Music, Taproot, and Core. The most interesting thing to me was Frost. I did go take a look at that paper. I want to see if I can code it. I think um, uh, Jesse Posner has already coded a Python version and is working on integration with libsecp256k1-zkp. So, you know, that, that stuff is pretty cool. And I, I, hope, uh, I hope to be able to read more on that. But yeah, I mean, Frost is K of N. So that obvious the need to, um, you know, create only N of N stuff. Grubel shows how you can solo mine using Blockstream Satellite. The guy goes into setting up a solo mining operation using BFG Miner and Bitcoin Core. The probability of finding a block is astronomically low, of course, but it's a fun experiment to run since getting the blocks to build on doesn't even require an internet connection. The only thing missing is emitting a found block somehow to the network, which could be done via internet, SMS, or something similar. While it would be amazing to be able to mine without an internet connection, the guide is more so that if your internet connection goes down, you can still continue mining and not waste precious hash rate. I suspect something like this will become really interesting as more energy sources are harvested with the minimal infrastructure connection requirements. So uh, apparently the only ways uh, you could solo mine other than this is like using a pool software which doesn't make sense because you still have to give like two percent to the pool even though it's solo mine so you know instead just like solo mine and not have this third party dependency um and i think that's the right way to do it uh the interesting thing is you can you can get the block data off of blockstream satellite really it's only when you find a block and emitting it that that's a little bit of a problem you're going to have like two megabytes of data that you need to send to the network um, and that's uh, that's tricky, right? Uh, and get, getting that out there, maybe via SMS, maybe just like the block header, and then uh, you know give some um, you know clue as to uh, you know how the Merkle root is calculated or something like that, or the uh, constituent transactions or something. Um, you know that that might I, I think Fiber lets you do something like that, so you you can reduce sort of like the amount of data that needs to be sent. I don't know if it'll fit in an SMS, uh, but you know, like that—that's a possibility. You you need some sort of connection so that you can uh, send something out. But it, it's an interesting experiment. 
All right, uh, Kraken has implemented proof of reserves. The main idea is that there's a Merkle tree of liabilities in the form of user account balances, which can be compared to UTXOs on chain, which Kraken can sign. This means that each user can get proof, uh, proof that their account balance was included in the liabilities without knowing any other user's balance. The post is great because there's co example code to run to prove that your particular balance was included in the Merkle root. So they'll give you a Merkle proof for your particular liability being in there. Um, I haven't run this myself, but I plan to uh, with the Kraken balance I have and see if you know it, it's included in the Merkle root. And if it is, then then you can be sure that, okay, well, there there is a, uh, you know, the proof of reserve clearly is there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's cool, and I, I expect anyone that has a Kraken balance and is kind of a developer to run that. All right, Lightning. Simple Lightning has a nice post on Lightning Dust and what we can do about it. The main gist is that while there's no Lightning Dust at the moment, as routing fees increase, there will be certain payments that simply won't be economical. The post is an honest look at how micro the payments infrastructure can go and what the practical limitations of the economic reality are and worth thinking about. Um, so the idea is that you can have lightning dust <laughs> payments that are just so small that no one's going to route them uh, because the routing fees are going to overwhelm whatever micropayment that you want to make. So uh, unless you have a direct channel, in which case, you know, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, if you're actually routing it through the lightning network, the routing fees may make it kind of, um, you know, dustworthy, right? Like uh, you, you want to send like one microset, but uh, the routing fee is one set. That's not going to make any sense. So. Um, there, there are sort of like natural limitations like that, which I hadn't thought of, um, and I thought it was a pretty insightful little thing there. Lyce takes the Chinese New Year red envelope concept onto the Lightning Network. For, for those that don't celebrate Chinese New Year, gifts for this holiday are typically cash bills in a red and gold envelope. Lyce essentially lets you print out a QR code, which is a LN URL for receiving some amount into your Lightning wallet. It's the old school Bitcoin paper wallet gift, except now it works with Lightning. I love the concept for cash gifting societies, which is a significant portion of the world. This has amazing potential to replace cash gifts. I'd love to see something a little less centralized eventually, perhaps with an LN URL that goes to my own server to redeem from a Lightning Network wallet that I control. So the idea is um, you deposit some money with Lycee and, uh, and you know, they, they hold that money until it gets redeemed through that LN URL. So the custody is in this third party until you know, someone can, scans the QR code, it goes to an LN URL, and then they can receive uh, you know, the money into their Lightning wallet. So very clever because unlike a Bitcoin paper wallet, you know, it's, it's not already in that address. It's, uh, it only gets pushed to the... Uh, to the node when, when it gets scanned and it's requested. So unlike Bitcoin paper wallets, where if you gave it to somebody and they lose it, that money is lost forever. This this is a little better. Um, but, you know, obviously the other person doesn't possess it until they scan the QR code. So um, I like the concept. I would just like uh, my own version <laughs> where, uh, you know, it's on my lightning node and then somebody can, uh, you know, I, I can issue these based on that. And you know, uh, give it as a nice gift or something like that in a nice envelope. So you have something physical to present. 
Don't know that AT is a way to receive lightning payments during live streams. The problems, uh, the problem with receiving money during streams is that pl the platforms typically take 30% of the money. Don't know essentially removes this platform tax and allows creators to receive the money directly to their lightning wallet. These solutions will be critical as more people move off these platforms and take their audiences with them. So, you know, uh, if, if you do a, do a live stream on Twitch or YouTube or whatever, they, they always just take 30% of whatever donations uh, people give you. So instead, if you use lightning payments and hook it up to your own node using the software, then bam, like all the money comes uh, comes to you. I think, um, you know, a lot of these creators are giving the, uh, you know, providing way more value to the platforms than the 30% of the cut that they're getting. So you know, rationally, they, they should move. And, uh, you know, as lightning adoption get, grows, um, this will become more economical for them. And, you know, that'll mean like a 30% increase in their pay and, you know, um, sort of less power to these centralized entities like YouTube and so on. Economics, engineering, etc. Nick Carter writes eloquently about ESG misunderstandings about Bitcoin. As he points out, the criticism from the environmentalists fundamentally misunderstand how the energy grid works and is full of misinformation. For example, the natural gas power plant in New York was demonized as using dirty coal when it's not. The fact that this article made it into Newsweek bodes well for the uh, for more subtlety and nuance in this discussion. So um, Nick uh, has been writing a ton on this stuff, and I'm glad that he's going into a publication like Newsweek. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the article itself is great, and it just sort of exposes a lot of the misunderstandings. Um, I, I, basically, the critics don't understand how energy works at all, and they tend to twist the truth a little bit in order to make their point, which um, which I think, for me, completely undermines their point. Uh, Mark Jeftovic uh, comments on the Canadian trucker GoFundMe saga and shows how Bitcoin fixes this. As he points out, what GoFundMe attempted to do, which was to distribute funds donated to charities of GoFundMe's choice, is exactly what a CBDC future will be like. I would go further and say that what GoFundMe attempted to do, central banks have been doing for a long time now, stealing from people to benefit their cronies. Uh, the episode showed why Bitcoin is fundamental to monetary sovereignty and prevention of theft. So, um, you know, GoFundMe uh, obviously, you know, had like $10 million or something like that in, uh, in funds that were donated to the Canadian truckers. They attempted to say, okay, well, we're not going to give it to the truckers. Instead, we're going to distribute it to um, these charities like the ACLU, which don't support these truckers at all. Um, and, you know, a bunch of people were pissed off because that's uh, like very clearly fraudulent. Um, and then they reversed their stance and said, oh, we'll just refund everybody's money. Um, now that that's uh you know what they attempted to do stealing people's funds i you know the, what uh what mark is saying is okay well if you have cbdc's this is going to happen all day long well if you have uh, you you kind of already have that with central banks they they're stealing your money so they can give it to whoever they want um you know whether it's investment banks or uh you know your uh, like public employee unions or something uh, something like that what, whatever it is they they the favor get the money and not the non-favored and that's that's been the case for a while now um, it's just that people aren't waking up to it but so in other words if you're upset about gofundme or what they were planning to do that's happening to you every day already uh fidelity makes the case for bitcoin maximalism well maybe not exactly but they come pretty close by making the very important distinction between bitcoin and other 
quote-unquote digital assets. As they explain in the paper, investors are wrongly applying the technology investing framework to Bitcoin instead of the monetary investing framework. This is sadly a mistake too many newbies make and get into altcoins and all the degenerate gambling behavior that comes with it. Hopefully a report like this can help the more traditional investors understand what makes Bitcoin different. So Fidelity's report, I think, is very strongly for Bitcoin. Um, and they're, they sort of tiptoe around the altcoin issue, but basically say it's not Bitcoin. It's not a store of value. It's something else entirely. And I think that distinction is very important to make, and I'm glad that they made it. Marshall Long reveals that Intel is getting into the ASIC game. The design team is apparently from Austin, and this is said to be a US-centric enterprise. This is a significant development as most mining equipment is currently manufactured in China. Chip manufacturing is notoriously slow and requires tremendous lead times, so there probably won't be anything for at least a year. But this is exciting for a multitude of reasons. We can't eliminate the possibility that China may someday ban mining equipment manufacturing and have more vendor and having more vendors outside of China will be really good for Bitcoin. So um, Intel is getting into the ASIC manufacturing game, specifically uh, with Bitcoin ASICs. Um, and, you know, they, they do have fabrication facilities and so on. They, so they, they really don't need anybody else to go do this. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like the, you know, the design looks really good. Um, we'll see what the yields are like and stuff like that. But, um, you know, th this could be tremendous for the Bitcoin network. Dirty Ball Media exposes the deception and so, uh, around celebrities buying NFTs. As they point out, Justin Bieber wasn't going on some chopping spree with his own money, as the media reported, but he was spending money that was given to him. Much like how diamond writing rings became popular, this is a marketing stunt meant to give a completely different impression than what's actually happening. In fact, there's a flow chart of all the different, obviously, com uh, uh, conflict of interest celebrity relationships in the NFT world. So... NFTs are using all the dirty tricks of marketing, right? Like they're making it seem like uh, Justin Bieber is so enamored with uh, NFTs that he's spending millions of dollars of his own money buying them, when in fact that's not the case. They gave him a bunch of money, he spent it on some NFTs, and that's that's what happened. Um, and this is not very different than how, you know, all coins have worked for a long time. Uh, you know, you, you give a bunch away to VCs for very, very cheap, and they promote the heck out of it and make it seem like this big thing, and then other people get into it and it becomes a hype cycle based on nothing. So um, that's what NFTs are. And um, yeah, that's it. Uh, LM Markets explains why AOPP was such a big deal. The intentions were good in the sense that the organizations who adopted AOPP wanted to encourage self-custody of BTC, even at the cost of some KYC, but ended up running up against the attack against permissionlessness. It's an interesting read as the demands of imperfect self-custody trade it off against the demands of permissionlessness of Bitcoin. The regulation itself is the problem, and I believe resisting bad regulation is the long-term play. We'll see how the saga plays out, though. So um, the reason why a lot of these wallets adopted AOPP was because they wanted to encourage self-custody, even at the expense of some KYC. It's uh, Otherwise, if they didn't adopt AOPP, then users would keep uh, keep the coins on the exchanges and uh, and not get it out into uh you know self-custodied wallets and um and basically uh you know a lot of people got in an uproar why, why do you need the government's permission to uh you know withdraw bitcoin so all of those wallets i think have more or less reversed course um and are not no longer supporting aopp but 
you know, there, there, there is this trade-off uh, when, when, you, when you have bad regulation like this. Um, you either KYC uh, or leave it on an exchange. And uh, both are pretty bad options. But the regulation is the problem. And, uh, and I, I think it was good for that article to point it out. Anyway, uh, let's talk about some of the quick hits. Maybe software engineering salaries won't go up forever. Uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, Google's alpha mind. They were able to do pretty constrained computer science problems and do a really good job on it, uh, which means that uh, maybe maybe they can replace some level of coders at some point. Bitfinex hack coins are on the move. So uh, there was a hack many years ago, and it looks like uh, those Hack coins are now moving. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. A bipartisan bill in the House of Representatives seeks to eliminate cap gains taxes on small purchases with Bitcoin. I think the limit is somewhere around $200. It would be nice if this were to pass. Um, it is bipartisan, so there's uh, some potential there. Texas had a certain freeze, much like last year, but this year miners helped everyone prepare. So uh, you had Riot Blockchain or Whitstone in uh, Rockdale, Texas, that decided to turn off their miners before the winter freeze came as a way to prepare. And this is one of the big advantages of mining is that, uh, you know, they can turn off their equipment if there's going to be uh, an expected surge in demand of that electricity, which is exactly what happened. Another week, more centralized altcoin founders suing each other. <laughs> this is uh, Ethereum and, you know, the the shady past of all these people are sort of coming into the light. Another week, another altcoin has an exploit. Uh, this is uh, something called Worm uh, Hole or something like that. Yeah, it, it's uh, and it was like a, an exploit of 326 million. It looks like some hedge fund is making it whole using money printed out of nothing. Events. Bitcoin and the American Dream book launch is this week in Washington, D.C. on February 10th. Come join me and meet the co-authors as well as some influential D.C. people for the event. I am in London for Advancing Bitcoin March 3rd and 4th. I am also going to be at Bitcoin 2022 in Miami April 6th through 8th. I'll also be doing the programming blockchain seminars in London March 1st and 2nd and Miami April 4th and 5th. On this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Josh Young about banking services. We talked about mortgage proce the mortgage process in El Salvador and how Bitcoin is solving real problems. Um, go have a listen on that if you want to know more about how mortgages are changing because of Bitcoin in El Salvador. I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find here. Here's the latest book, which is out now, Bitcoin and the American Dream. My other books are Thank God for Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, and Programming Bitcoin, which are all available on Amazon. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at unchained.com. Fiat de Lendez, this song is done. <laughs> 